We are grateful to you for this morning. We praise you for bringing us here. We thank you, Lord, for your plan for us today. We are privileged that we belong to those in whose life you are working, and we trust that you who have begun this good work in us, you will continue even unto the day of perfection. Lord, as we look at what may look a little bit different, this morning we ask that you will help us. You say that a horse is prepared against the day of battle. Lord, use these things to prepare us um, against the days that are ahead. We pray for understanding and we ask for grace. Thank you, Lord, our Father. For we bless and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Um, we thank God for gathering us here this morning. We want to um, look at, have a brief workshop and look at some few things together. I'm sure that wherever you are, Muslims are not new to you, are they? Are there some of us that have them as our classmates or have them in our hostels? Are there some of us that have them like that? Or how many of us have come across Muslims before? Huh? Okay. How many of us are in touch with one or two or three or any of them at all now, now. Okay. How many of us have come across Igbos who are Muslims? Okay. Some of us don't believe that there are Igbos who are Muslims now. How many of us believe that Igbos can never be Muslims? Huh? Or how many of us believe that what is happening in the north can never come here? How many of us is living in that world? Huh? Now, if you are one of such persons, I'd like you to begin to throw that idea over through the window now. Because uh, there are Igbos who are Muslims who are even becoming very radical now. There are Igbos who have taken it upon their hearts that it is their duty as Igbo Muslims to Islamize the Southeast. There are Igbos, Imams and Sheikhs who are committed to Islamizing fellow Igbo men and women. If you have uh, access to the internet, Google the Igbo Muslim. Just Google the Igbo Muslim. You will see, you will be amazed what you will see. How uh, Igbo Muslim Forum, how Igbos are becoming Muslim, and they are forming themselves, gathering themselves into different uh, Igbo Muslim organizations, 
and they are establishing themselves from Afiko to Abakeleke, from Enugu to Owere, Ohafia, and all of these places. They are, they are doing that, growing in their numbers. They are establishing schools. They are establishing businesses. They are establishing uh, small credit facilities, encouraging them, giving loans, making many people to become Muslims. Many Igbo young ladies have been married almost on a daily basis and they are becoming Muslims. And of course, the children they are producing out of such marriages are automatically indigenous Igbo Muslims. Now, in the next few years, you will begin to have Igbo Muslims contesting to be our chairman, to be our governor. Many will wake up to say, when did these people come like this? They have been there all the while. It's just that the church will have been quite busy with our own thing. And we never care to look. We never care to check. But we, now, we should begin to tell ourselves that we must not live in denial that Islam has come to stay right at our doorstep. So all over the land, all over the places, we, we see them increasing. Either through migration, people coming from the northern states, or even from outside Nigeria, coming to join their force with the local indigenous Muslims that are increasing by the day, and they are working concertedly together to ensure that the eastern part of Nigeria becomes an Islamic enclave. Whether you, know, whether you like it or not, some of our politicians have even aligned themselves with them. And for their own personal stomach, they are helping them to fulfill their agenda just because they want to remain as politicians. But the unfortunate thing is that the church in the southeast and in the south-south seem not to be aware or even seem not to want to be aware. Why we are busy doing our own things, why we are busy dancing, why we are busy not evangelizing, why we are busy running after, chasing after what I will call shadows many times, they are quietly busy pulling people from the church. In fact, it will shock you to know that many people are tired of being Christians these days. And they are leaving the church and becoming Muslims. If you go to villages round about us here, people are not going to church again. In fact, they just get tired for two main reasons. One is that Offering upon offering upon offering, collection upon collection, has made people to be tired. And Islam is coming around and offering an alternative. Islam is, it will tell them, you see, you see, church, they are always taking from you. They are not ready to help you, they are always taking from you. But we will have come as a continuation of Christianity, we are ready to give you. And they give them money. 
and they give them real money. I said, you don't need to go to church. Just become a Muslim. You have all that you need. And they are giving them money. And they are leaving the church and they are becoming Muslims. The second thing that is making people to be tired with the church these days is what we call barrier. You know, when your father or your mother die here, many times you see people crying when they say, oh, father had died, mother had died. Not so much because the father is dead. It is so much because of the things involved to bury the father or the mother. You have to go and spend so much to keep in mortuary for months. You have to go and spend so much to even build house in preparation for the burial. You have to go and spend so much. When the day of the burial comes, you have to spend so much buying cows and buying this and buying that. Even before the dead person is buried. We spend so much burying the dead who probably may be lamenting in hell. And we, 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 we think that is giving them, you know, I think we even call it celebration of life, isn't it? Very unfortunately, the life we celebrate, they are not to be celebrated at all. Because what is there to be celebrated in a man who is ends in hell, who is lamenting in hell? I wish we could peep into hell and hear the cries from there. We may not be celebrating some things we celebrate here down on earth. Now, because of the expenses, the cost that goes into that, Many people are getting tired, and Islam has understood this. And he's coming around and saying, you see, for us, if you become a Muslim, we don't need to spend so much to bury the dead. As soon as you die, in two, three hours, you are dead. And I mean, you, the, the dead is buried, and we forget it, and life moves on. Why spend all your lot? Why spend all your savings for the dead? And it's becoming very attractive to our people. And they are leaving the churches and becoming Muslims. Each time we talk to pastors, we want to help them to see this. If we don't begin to change some of the things we give emphasis to, that actually have no direct relevance to the kingdom, we will lose many people. Thirdly, young people are leaving the church, becoming Muslims. Why? Because of free scholarship. Free scholarship. Young People, young, evil people. And when I'm saying evil now, I'm only talking about because this consensus, this strategy is not only here, it's all over the places. I will together now. But because we are located there and this is our area of concentration, that is why we are talking about it like that. This is a strategy that's going on everywhere. Giving free scholarship. What they call, uh, um, um, uh, Arab League or whatever now. They give free scholarship to students and they go to study. My colleague in, in Cairo was telling me that in, in Al-Azhar University in Cairo, we have a population of 1,500 Nigerian students. Al-Azhar University is one of the, is the highest Islamic university in the world. 1,500 Nigerian students who are there, free scholarship. Not that you are going to be studying medicine or engineering or any of those things. You are only going to be, many of them are studying Islamic religion, Islamic missions and so on. By the time they are coming back, they are coming back as imam. They are coming back revolutionized, Islamized, and they are coming back as missionaries to their own people. So if you go to places like Africa, places, uh, you know, uh, 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 all over the southeast, you have these strong Igbo Muslims moving around, Converting people, 
and so on. On 28th November, yeah, I think 2014 or 2000, no, 2013, I think, 18 young Igbo Muslims became, Igbo young men became Muslims in, uh, in the National Mosque in Abuja. How many of us heard of it? Only a few people. 18 young men became publicly Muslims in the National Mosque in Abuja. If you think, if you doubt it, I send you the details after now. The governor, Oji Kalu, gave them two million naira. Okorocha uh, gave them one million. The governor of Bauchi and Sokoto State gave them five million each. What are they to do with all of those millions? Return back to their root to propagate the religion. Pastors are leaving pastoral work and are becoming Muslims. Igwe's, traditional rulers, are becoming Muslims. Young people are becoming Muslims. Are we together now? So let's not think that this thing is far away. When we talk about Islam, people think that it's the thing that is happening to let them hold it there in the north. No, no. This is not the time to think that way. It is time for each one of us to begin to understand what is happening and seeing how God will use us as young people. It is you and I that God will use to reach out to these ones. And if we fail to understand them, to understand what they believe, to understand why they are doing the things they are doing, then when they come around us, we are likely to swallow the poison that they will present to us. Money, Islamization has become a very strong tool in their hands. And they don't mind to give millions, millions, to ensure that uh, young people become Muslims. So campuses, on campuses, young girls are being won over by Muslim young men who are there to study, but they are there on a mission. Muslim couples who are sent to schools all around here, though coming as coppers, but they have their agenda. Before they finish the one-year service, they would have impregnated many Christian girls. They may have established and won some and established Islam in those places before the one-year elapses. Business people or people who are moving, circulating around, either cutting fingernails or selling sugarcane or selling what I am, um, watermelon, uh, carrots, and all those petty, petty things. You think that they are just looking for money. There are people, young people like you and I, trained and armed, properly armed as missionaries, and they are moving around doing their father's work. If you go to Ubete Market, if you go there, you see the number of Igbo girls, Christian girls, that they are messing up there, and they are marrying. If you go to New Artisan, the same thing. If you go to uh, Gariki, the same thing. And, and we just don't care. If we don't give attention to this now and begin to bring up ourselves 
and say we must we are the one that God will use. If we don't do that, the time will come that we will cry for failing to do what we should be doing. Now, as we look at this workshop, these few hours, young people, it is you and I that God will use to do this work. Are we together? It is you and I. Whether you are there here in your in your within your hosted now or not, it's not the issue. Some of you, you may go for youth service. When you go there, you are going to meet them there. If you are not prepared, if you are not armed, they will win you. They have won many people over like that. Who went as, as, as youth coppers, Christian youth coppers, even NCCF, but they came back, something else. So, uh, uh, we need to begin to change our way of thinking, our way of looking at things now, and begin to equip ourselves with the understanding of this religion and seeing how God can use us to relate with them and be able to bring the knowledge of salvation onto them. Some people think, now, when they, when they see Muslims, somebody was telling me, he said, there is, a, there is a, an awe that comes, that's, uh, uh, that is around them, and all of that. I said, there is nothing like awe about that. Awe has nothing to do with, with people who are carrying demons around. When we're talking about awe, we're talking about it has to do with God. What you're talking about is just fear. It's fear. It's fear that you are amplifying like that. When you see them, what you call uh, Islamophobia. The fear of Islam and Muslims, something just click in your heart, crap, and become so afraid of them. They are mere men. They are human beings like you and I. They suffer hunger. You suffer hunger. They fall sick. You fall sick. There's nothing uh, extraordinary about them. It's just that they are possessed by a different spirit. By the way, every man is possessed by a spirit. I hope you know. And if you are not possessed by the spirit of Jesus, you are possessed by another spirit. But for us here, that is our passion, to be possessed by the Spirit of Jesus so that He can use us in our own time. Praise God. So as we look at this, let it not be boring to you. One of the alarming things we discover in relating with Christians about this is that when you talk about Islam, people become very bored. It's a boring thing. They just look very bored. But the, the reality is that whether you get bored or not, they are going to be confronting you. And you are going to be confronting them. Some pastors will tell you, look, we have nothing to do with that. Our calling is not that. Our calling is not that. Is nothing to do with this. So don't bother with us. And the answer we always give is that if you don't have anything to do with them, they, they have everything to do with you. Are you together? If, if a pastor says, I don't have anything and my calling is not to them, good and fine. It is people like you they are looking for. They have everything to do with you. And even as young people, you are here now. You say, me, I'm, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. I have nothing to do with them. There's nothing to praise God for you yet about. Just know that they, they have everything to do with you. When you see them around the places selling articles, you know, uh, what we call kayan table. <laughs> they are selling this, selling that, selling that, selling that. It is you. It is you. It is you that is their vision. It is you they are aiming at. 
So let us not live like the ostrich. Eh? With our head buried and we assume that the whole body is buried in the, in the ground. No. Let's not live like that now. Praise God. So that is the reason why we want to spend these few hours talking about this workshop. And uh, it, the, the, the aim of this workshop is basically is to introduce you to the basics of Islam. Just the basics. Just to give you the A, B, C, D. So that at least you are not an ignorant person when it comes to what Islam is. One of the reasons why we need must do this is because uh, Muslim missionaries have been trained all over and they are going around making Christians to believe that uh, Islam and Christianity are one. How many of you have heard that before now? That we say well, it's the same God. Well, in fact, that we are all serving the same God. It's just that they are following Muhammad and we are following Jesus. And many pastors have been deceived even to distribute Quran. And they are producing tracts. Uh, unfortunately, I gave the last copy out. I would have shown you the, the, the tract they have produced aiming at Christians who are uninformed. Using the Bible even. If, a, if as a Christian who, who, who is not born again, who does not know his left from her right, read that tract, he or she is going to become a Muslim straight away. Are we together now? So that is why we spend any little gap we have, we spend it to help Christians to understand this. So that even if you don't, even if you don't talk to a Muslim about, about, about Jesus, at least you are armed as a defense, right? As a protection around you so that nobody comes to deceive you. And young girls, let me tell you this. We'll come to that later now. You are, your, you are their target everywhere. Are we together? You are their target. Those of us who want to study, young people who want to study, they are, they are willing to give you scholarship. Anyhow, anyhow. Anyhow. So we must understand this. Okay. The second thing is it is to enable you to see that Muslims are human beings like us with feelings and pains, problems, etc. and so on and so forth. They are facing real life problems just like we all are facing. There's nothing that faces us that they are excluded from. In fact, they have more problems than we do. Yes. So these struggles can become bridges on which we can walk into their lives finding windows of opportunities to present the gospel. Some of you are medical students. Some of you are uh, nurses and so on. Do you know that some of them may fall sick and they may become your patient? Has anybody experienced that so far? Even if you have not, you are going to face it. A Muslim will be sick and he or she will become your patient. Now, if you don't have an idea of what he or she believes or where he is coming from, how can you be of help to such patients? By the way, by the time they are sick and they are seated in front of you in consultation, needing your help, are they not, are they not within your reach at that point? They are. And God expects that right there, you are able to help, you are able to plant something that will alter the way the person thinks. You are able to plant something about Jesus in, 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 in his life. So, uh, uh, it is very important that we know this. Alright. 
And God is daily in the business of searching for the lost sheep in the house of Islam that he need must bring back. Many Christians assume that Muslims, they should perish. In fact, in these days of dangerous prayers, many have dangerously offered, uh, prayed, uh, offered dangerous prayers that Muslims, they should die, fall down, die, fall down, die, fall down, die. That's why many Christians spend their energy praying. The question is, how does God look at them? Huh? Now, when we talk about Muslims, let me give you an example. Let me say something now. Somebody who comes to this chapel and is a liar. Somebody who comes to this chapel and is a sinner. And Boko Haram Shekau. You know, you know Shekau now. You know Boko Haram now. Who see killing? Killing human beings. Killing Christians as if it is killing, is killing ants. Now, when they place Shekau like this, and they place a Christian who goes to church, who is a sinner, and they place them side by side like this. What is the difference between the two of them? Eh? Is there a difference? Are you sure? I thought that there should be a difference. Is there a difference? No. As far as God is concerned, one is a terrorist. They are both terrorists, actually. It just, it just depends on the area of their specialization in their terrorism. Are you getting this now? In the area of their specialization. Whereas one specializes in killing people with arms and bombs and so on, the other one specializes <laughs> in using biro and, and, and smooth way to sin. Even though he may sing choruses and sing choruses. So as far as God is concerned, they have one final destination that is common to all of them. Where is that destination? So when you get when people land in hell, there's no there's no distinction between whether you, you are a more sinner than the other sinner. Some people will say, Let them go and burn in the in the hottest part of hell. Have you been there before? Which one is the hottest part? Whether it's hottest or not hottest, hell is hell now. If you find it, find yourself inside fire. You are on one end of the fire burning you. Another person is one end of the fire burning you. What is the difference between the two? Nothing. So when we are talking about Muslim and terrorists, let's not think that they are worse sinners. They are sinful as those who are merely religious, but are not in Christ. And they are all going to land in the same place. In fact, many Christians who even carry bomb and carry gun to fight them, the only unfortunate thing that when they succeed in killing themselves, they are both arriving at the same destination at the same time. So you say, ah, you killed me. Yes, me too, I kill you. Ah, you are killing me for, your, for Christianity, I'm killing you for Islam, but we have all finally landed in the same place. What is the difference? Nothing. So what are we saying? God is in the daily business of searching out, seeking. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Even as we are talking, he's seeking them. From Boko Haram, he's seeking them. And I tell you, he's bringing them out in their large numbers. It's just that these are not the things you will hear in the news. So you will think that uh, many Christians have erroneously believed that God is so weak. He's just sitting down in heaven, sleeping. In fact, he has even forgotten about the word self. Why is, why are, why is evil over, overflowing everywhere? In the midst of all of that, many of them, 
uh, encountering Jesus Christ. In fact, you will be surprised that when we get to heaven, the people you will meet in heaven, they, are, they may be people you least expect that they will be in heaven. So, uh, uh, we are going to go through this so that we find ways of aligning ourselves with God in this time. Do we, do we, do we understand this now? Okay. Now, you will also discover that through migration, they are coming up here. Every day. Now, even since Buhari became uh, president, now it has even increased. Every way they are, they are increasing everywhere. Many times, churches or Christians, we trepidate. We, we, we worry. Eh? And we, we cry over nothing. That they are coming here. They are coming here. God has his reasons to, for bringing them. And let me quickly mention one or two now. Do you know that God is bringing them from that place and bringing them here. Are we together now? The reason is because, one, since we may not be able to reach them there, we are supposed to do what? He has brought them here so that we can reach them here. If, this, if at the end of this week, now young people's week, and the chapel bus is ready, and they say, we are going to go for an outreach to Niger State, to KB State, to Plateau State, and the bus is ready, everything is ready for the outreach. God, and they say, we are looking for young people who will indicate we are going for a one-week outreach. Do you know what will happen to many of us now? Many will say, over my dead body. In fact, many parents will say, lie, lie, my son, in Ogo Cross, River Niger. Are you understanding now? So, even to, even to go for your service now, as soon as you hear you have been posted to Borno, Zamfara, KB states, or any of those states, even Christian parents, they will go and tell lies. They will go and obtain fake, fake medical reports that their son is a, is a SS, she can't survive in that house, this one, this, that one, and that one. They will obtain fake medical report. Why? So that they don't want their son or daughter to go there. Christians, so they see it as a holy way of telling lies. There is nothing like holy lie. Your lie is lie. If it is not the truth, it is not the truth. Do you understand this now? But God understands somehow and is bringing them here so that you, we can see them here. Even we walk by the fence of the hospital. Don't you see, don't you see them along the road? Do you need any transport to go there? Eh? All you need now is their God that brought them here. So they say what you are finding in Sokoto, if you are finding it in your Sokoto, it, it's okay. Are we together? What are we saying? They are coming here so that God will help the church to fulfill the great commission to them right here in our own environment. Carrying out outreaches to their communities within our area here is far cheaper than carrying out outreaches to the north, isn't it? The money we may use to go to the north, we can now actually use to reach them here. The people we may send to the north, we can actually send them here now. I will go to it now. So God is working, working, working to help the church in the southeast and south-south to fulfill the Great Commission. But we are too busy, sleeping, doing our own things. I pray that God will bring an awakening. Praise God.
the other, uh, the other thing is that, for it will also equip you to a bit on how to reach out to them in friendship in your neighborhood in order to represent Christ before them. Uh, five, knowledge is power. The workshop will empower you to differentiate between the God in Christianity and the Allah in Islam. They are not the same. And Christians and Muslims are not serving the same God. Now, in this, uh, inter, is it interreligious dialogue? No, what do they call it now? Muslim, Christian dialogue and all of that, that have become political these days. They are just trying to buy, the, make, make uh, 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 diplomatically confuse us to, buy, to help us to buy the idea that as Christians and Muslims we are serving the same God. If we are serving the same God, what is the need to evangelize them again? That is what they are actually trying to say. That since we are serving the same God, don't be passionate, don't bother to evangelize us. We are serving the same God. And many Christians have accepted that we are serving the same God. So if they are going the same way we are going, if they are going believing the same thing we are believing, why bother with them? We are not serving the same God. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is not the same God that is in Islam. Are we together now? So, so, so we must, by all means, trust God to help us to, to relate with them. Whether in classroom or in the marketplaces or in the neighborhood, as God brings us close to them, see them as people who are in need and passionately reach out to them. Praise God. Now, so, uh, but one thing that is a big block, the big hindrance in the hearts of Christians is bitterness. Bitterness. Hatred. Yes, many have justifiable reasons, humanly justifiable reasons, and they say, well, you see, they have killed our people in the north. Some of us may have been in the north, and we have suffered injustices in their hand, and maybe we are back to the east, and say, so, okay, the thing they did for us there, they might go see here. So, unforgiveness, bitterness, has piled up in the heart of many, many Christians. So that when you talk about Muslims, they, will rem they remember all the terrible things they have done. And they are not able to forgive. Uh, uh, uh. So this bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred has become a big hindrance in the hearts of many Christians. Maybe that is where we'll start from this morning. I'd like you to honestly look at your heart. Are you getting it now? You see, one of the things I keep telling Christians everywhere we go, there is something the devil is looking at. And let me, let me bring that to you now. Do you know that Muslims are already in the hand of the devil? There's no doubt about that. And Christians, the devil knows that Christians, some, some little things can disqualify us from making heaven. One of that little things, it's not, it may appear little, but it's a great thing in heaven, as far as heaven is concerned, is if there is hatred. You remember what the Bible says? It says, anyone who hates his brother, eh, is what? Is a murderer. And you know that a murderer has no what? He has no part in the kingdom of God. So, so if somebody carry bomb, poos, in one minute he has killed 200 people. What is he? 
a murderer. Okay. His faith is known. Then somebody is in the church. He says, praise, praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And right in the heart, there is what? There is hatred. How is heaven looking at the two of them? Murderers. We may call him brother. We may call him sister. We may call him evangelist that. But what is heaven calling that person? He's a murderer. This is the, when, you, when he raised hand to praise God, praise God, he said, this song is coming from a murderer. Check his heart. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. So anywhere you go, in fact, your song self is an offense in heaven. It's a, it's, a, it's a praise coming from the heart of a murderer. A murderer. A murderer. A murderer. And the devil quickly appears before God. You know, the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He said, but you say this is your brother, right? Okay, let's look at his heart. Let's look at the heart of this one and the heart of this one. What will you find? Hatred. He said, see, he's my own, no? He's my own. God is my own. You say he's your own. He's singing praise, but he's my own. At that point, even God's hand will be tied. So what are we, looking, what are we saying? All that the devil is trying to use Muslim to do is to ensure that he will win as many Christians as are possible for him through bitterness, through hatred. I beg you, sister, do you want to see God? There are certain things you must do. Give earnest attention to your heart at all times. Let there be no hatred. No matter what you do, if hatred finds its root into your heart, you are in trouble. Ensure that impurity does not find an abode, an accommodation in your heart. Are we together now? These are tiny, tiny foxes that are undoing many Christians. Even though on the outside, they are very powerful, they are very strong, they are very doing that. But if you look inside, and the Bible says that men look at outward appearance, oh, but every day, God is surveying the hearts. Every day, God is checking the heart of each one of us. What is going on here? Men may not know, brothers may not know, sisters may not know, but God knows. So, hatred must be rooted out of our hearts at all points that God help me to love Muslims. Not only Muslims, even people who are difficult to love, help me to love them. And love is not feeling, I feel good about them. No, it's not so. It's a deliberate act of the will brought about by the Holy Spirit who is given to us in our hearts. Are we together now? So I'd like us to pray for our hearts before we continue. Do you think we should do that? Okay. Just pray for your heart. Do you have heart trade? Even as I am talking, you know, was it three of... Yes, yesterday when we are coming, we hear of what they are doing to our brothers in Plateau State. How they will go and finish all the villages, chase them out and level down all their farms, carry cutlasses, level down all their farms to, just to drive them away. And when you hear it, what, what comes to your heart? Your emotion feels somehow. Wickedness. Yes. Wickedness. So many times you can stare wrong emotion and can say, cut these people, cut these people. But what would Jesus do? He would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Can we pray and ask the Lord, in case you have bitterness in your heart for Muslims, just ask the Lord to please visit your heart. Help you to forgive them. Help you to ask Jesus to remove hatred from your heart. 
It may even halfway for anybody at all. Muslim or no Muslim. Halfway for anybody at all. You just hate the person. You say, I don't want to see you. I hate you. Eh. And you want to go to heaven? Ask the Lord to wash your heart and remove heart rate and remove anything that will serve as an obstacle to your entering into heaven. Pray that the Holy Spirit will put fresh love in your heart for Muslims, for the persons you hate. Ask that the Holy Spirit will put fresh love in your heart for them, for Jesus also loves them. Father, we thank you as we open our hearts before you. We ask that as you peep into each of our hearts, please, Lord, where there be heart rage, let it be replaced with love now. Where there be unforgiveness, bitterness, let it be replaced with love. Let it be replaced with forgiveness. Let it be replaced with compassion. Let it be replaced with empathy in the name of Jesus. Help us as we move on. There will be men and women who will love people irrespective of their background or whatever they do. Lord, we pray that you help our hearts continually. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Now, we return back to section A. We come back to section A. Um, we will be a bit... I am not sure we will finish everything within the time we have in our hands. But wherever we stop, I believe that you have the handout. Make time to read through them. And read even much more on your own. Huh? Uh, beyond what is in the few pages in your hand. All right. For, uh, uh, we're trying to, in, in this workshop, we're trying to answer two or three questions. What is Islam? Who are Muslims? How do I relate with them? What is Islam? Who are Muslims? And how, how do I relate with them? So, what, who, how? Right? Okay. Now, the first, the section A deals with A, what is Islam? Definitions. Now, if you look at your handout, Muhammad simply means the praised one, and Islam means the sub, a submission to Allah, a Muslim, a one who submits to Allah. Now, if you look at those things, they were all uh, taken from three Arabic uh, uh, letters, SLM. Now, if you look at the play of uh, words there you have uh, Islam if you bring uh, if you introduce I behind SL and A in between L and M you have Islam now Mu if you, if you introduce MU behind S and introduce I in between L and M you have Muslim and if you introduce SA behind L and double A, in between L and M, you have Salam. Now, from these three Arabic letters, you can form many words. Huh? Islam, Muslim, Muslimin, Muslimat, and so on and so forth. 
Now, in, in Arabic, the word mu, each time you hear mu, is talking about the subject of the subject or the, uh, the person that possesses the subject you are talking about. When you say Muslim, you are talking about the person who, in whom Islam has become his way of life. Someone who has submitted himself to Allah in totality. Now, when you talk about uh, uh, Muhammad, Ahmad means the praised one. Muhammad uh, is one who is highly praised. Are you get it now? If you have uh, Barak, Barak means blessing. When you say Mubarak, we are talking about one who is highly blessed. Do you understand that now? So each time you hear, you have Mustafa, uh, Muslimin, Mubarak, and so on and so forth. He's talking about the person who possesses the subject we are dealing with. Do you get it now? So when you say Mubarak, for example, you are talking about one who possesses blessing. You are talking about blessing. Baraka is blessing. And Mu is the person who possesses that subject we are dealing with. Are we together now? So, Mustafa, Muhammad, uh, Muslimin, uh, 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 Mukhtar, and all of that. is is talking about the person in whose life the subject we are dealing with is resident in. Oh, is that okay? All right. Now, but beyond the fact that I'd like us to look at Mark chapter, Mark chapter, chapter 5. Beyond the fact that um, now if we look at, since we are, it's a workshop, let's just, let me ask us a question now. What is the difference between Muslim and Islam. Hello? Are we together? Yes. Okay. Okay. Did you, I'm sure you heard what he said. Islam is, 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 is a submission to Allah. Muslims are people who have submitted themselves to become Muslims, right? Okay. Yes, somebody was raising hand at the back. Are you the one? Okay, go ahead. The difference between Muslims and Islam. Okay. Yeah. The religion. Okay. Okay. Now, he has introduced another word that we are very familiar with. But unfortunately, that word is a very dangerous one. Even though it does not carry, uh, it does not appear to be dangerous. It is the word religion. Huh? When we hear religion, does it, does it show us that it is a dangerous thing? Eh? We are all familiar with religion, by all means. But one of the most dangerous things is the word religion. Let me explain. Islam is a religion. Muslims are practitioners of that religion, isn't it? That is the basic knowledge we all have. Is Christianity a religion or not? Eh? How many of us believe that Christianity is a religion? 
Okay, only a few people believe that Christianity is a religion. How many of us believe that Christianity is not a religion? Praise God. Christianity is not a religion. Are we together? You notice that Christianity is the way. Are we together now? Actually, actually, Jesus himself did not use the word Christianity. I hope you know. Neither did he come to establish a religious movement. He did not. You know why? Because before he came, there was a religious movement. Which was that religious movement? Judaism. So men were highly religious. Highly religious. But they were not saved. Just like we have men who are highly religious in our days. Highly Christianized. But they are not saved. So Jesus didn't come to establish another religion. He came to establish the way. So you hear him say, I am the way, the life and the truth. Not a way. I am the way. Do you understand that now? But Islam is a religion. And Christianity. You see, sometimes when you go here and say, are you a Christian? Sometimes I'm tempted to say I'm not a Christian. Actually, I am not. Am I a Christian? I'm a follower of Jesus. Is following Jesus Christianity? Answer me now. Is following Jesus Christianity? This is where many are confused. I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. There is no way following Jesus makes you a Christianity. I hope you know the word Christ, Christians and Christianity was a, a name given to people it was a, was a derogatory name. You remember when they were mocking them in Acts? They said, these are Christians. Do you understand that now? Jesus himself did not establish that. He came to establish the way. So you notice that in Acts of Apostles, they kept talking about the way, the way, the way. How many of us took, are taking note of that in Acts? They are followers, they, they are followers of the way. What has made many people not to go to heaven or that will make many people not to go to heaven in our day is that we capture Christianity as a religion but we neglected the way. May God, may God deliver us from being Christians but may help us to be what? To be people who are followers of the way. Praise God. Of course, because of political, political situation in our country, sometimes when you are feeling formed, Either university form or form to one thing or the other they put, what's your religion? It's either Christianity or Islam, isn't it? Even pagans, they don't want to put that they are pagans, so they put that they are what? <laughs> they are Christians. Alright, now, I want us to go beyond that. When we're looking at Islam and religion and Muslims, actually, Islam is much more than that. Islam is a very strong spirit. And let's look at Acts, Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 5 now. If you read Mark chapter 5, we won't have all the time to dig out the facts. But if you look at Mark chapter 5, it's talking about that demon-possessed man. That man of, madman of uh, Gadara. You remember? Okay. You remember how Jesus and his disciples um, crossed the lake Jesus himself even told them, let us go to the other side. You remember? Okay. 
and how as soon as they entered and they were going to the other side, a great squall came up. A great wind, boisterous wind, confronted them. And they were able to do what? Uh, uh, Jesus rebuked the whole thing and they were able to cross. And as soon as they crossed, they were confronted by this madman. Are you understanding now? And if you look at it, he said they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, I'd like you to take note of that. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now, we see that this man was possessed by an impure spirit. What was the impure spirit doing in him? The impure spirit made him to live in the tomb, in the graveyard. That impure spirit made him to be so violent, such that they used chain to tie him hands and his hands and his foot. They tie him together like this, and he would snap the whole thing as if it was paper. Are you understanding now? Who was manifesting that kind of energy in him? It was that impure spirit. That impure spirit was so impure that even where the spirit was dwelling, which was the man's body, that impure spirit would make him to carry stone and be cutting himself. Ah! Ah! Do you understand that now? One would think that that spirit should have mercy on the, on the house where it is living. But that is what impurity can do. And the man would do that yeah, like this. Yeah, like this. And he was so strong such that nobody could bind him. Which means that if all of us here gather to bind that man, we will not be able to do that. Where did he get that energy from? That impure spirit. He was so violent such that nobody passed through that way again. Having changed him many times and he had broken the chain as if it was just paper and seeing the kind of thing he was manifesting, people avoided him. Do you understand that now? Okay. When Jesus came, what, what did Jesus deal with? It was the spirit that was in him that Jesus handled, not the vessel that was carrying the spirit. The mistake we make, or many Christians make, is that they will say, look, Muslims, if they come, and we have talked to many pastors here, say, look, what they are doing, they, not, they cannot do here. If they come here, they will see, they will see. What are they talking? They are saying that we will do what? <laughs> we will fight them. 
If fighting will solve the matter, Chebi the, uh, in the north would have stopped the matter long ago. Abi would have stopped it. But fighting will not solve it. Do you understand that now? Okay, some Christians say, look, we, we, we also, since if they slap us, they have slapped us enough, self. they have slapped us here, they have slapped us here, so we can now begin to retaliate. So let us all buy gun. Now, if you carry gun and shoot a man who is possessed by a spirit, what happens to the spirit in him? Eh? The spirit will jump and leave him. You have killed a man, oh. You have killed a body, oh. It has become a sin on your head before God, oh. But have you succeeded in this, with the spirit? The spirit will jump out and look for another person to possess. Because spirit, they don't hang empty, oh. They must look for a vacuum. They must look for somewhere to go and hide themselves. So Jesus understood this, that the problem was not the man. If, imagine Jesus now walk to the man and say, you here, they have been trying to change you, you are not hearing, he's slapping, wow! <laughs> Would he have conquered the problem? No. So, in looking at what Islam is, and who are Muslims, Islam is a spirit that has manifested itself in different ways to make it look like it is a religion, it is a spirit. And Muslims are people who are simply possessed by that spirit. So if you find a Muslim and say, look, he's the one, this Abdullah, he's the one, he, I hate him, he's the one, let me box him. <laughs> he, has, he did that to me when I was in Kano. Now he has come here. Yes, me too, I'll do it to him. And, you, and because you are the son of the soil, you, can, you think that you can do that and get away with it. Supposing you quah, and he fall down and die. Have you, have you solved the problem? You have not solved the problem. You've actually have created more problems for yourself before God. Even if nobody catches you because you are the son of the soil, before God, <laughs> you are carrying a different label, a murderer. But the spirit has not been dead. Now, what in essence, as we look at Muslims, as we look at Islam, we are actually telling ourselves that it is not the human vessels that are carrying the spirit that is our problem. It is the spirit that is inside. So, in, dealing, in relating with Muslims, it is the spirit that is in them that we're actually aiming at. What, just like Jesus dealt with that uh, uh, demoniac, he said, he spoke to that spirit, come out of him quickly. When that spirit said, ah, Jesus, I know you, you have come, please don't, but was it the man talking? It was that spirit that was talking. Do you know that as soon as Jesus drove away the spirit from that man, what happened to the man? Eh? Uh -uh. He came back to his mind. He now sat down, well, prop I mean, properly clothed at the feet of Jesus. His eyes opened for the first time to, saw that, to see that he was naked. Did he all this while? Did he ever see that he was naked? Do you know that Muslims who kill people all around, they don't know that they are doing anything? Eh? They see that they are, they are serving God. As soon, have you met Muslims or heard, heard the story of those who repented and they say, What? So this is what I did. I never knew I did this kind of a thing. Are you getting it now? Uh, uh, uh. As soon as they became, that spirit left them and the spirit of Christ entered, their eyes opened. And they regretted that they ever did the things they did. So people who are possessed by spirits, by such spirits, they don't know what they do. 
It is the spirit that is using them to do those things. And our job is to see how we can deal with that spirit. Not to kill the human vessels. Are we together now? Are we together now? Uh, if somebody is carrying the spirit of Ekwensu, eh? if somebody is carrying Ekwensu, and you want to help the person, what should you do? Eh? Is to, is to drive out the Ekwensu from him. If you don't drive out the Ekwensu and go and look for Cain, just beat him so that he will come to his senses. You keep beating him, you will kill him. And once you kill him, what happened to the Ekwensu? Ekwensu will jump out and look for somebody else to do or to go and occupy. So, in, uh, as we relate with this, who are Muslims? They are people who are possessed by a rebellious, resilient, antichrist spirit. Are we together now? Antichrist spirit, that is the summary of that spirit. Because it stands against everything that has to do with Christ. Are we there? Everything that has to do with Christ. It is that spirit that denies that uh, Jesus is the Son of God, even in the, in the Quran. It is that spirit that denies that Jesus was crucified. Now, if you take these two things from, 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 let me, permit me to use the word Christianity now. If you take these two things, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for the sins of mankind, what do you have again? Nothing. Nothing. So, uh, uh, what we're looking at is that in relating with Muslims, brothers, sisters, never make the mistake. Don't find fault with this. Is this Abdullah? Is this Abdullah? Uh, uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. There is a spirit. There is a spirit that is carrying. And that spirit, he, that, it is that spirit that will make him to say, okay, when he sees all of us now, he's just thinking how he will, he will be able to kill all of us in one second. You know why? Because that spirit already tells him that if he succeeds in killing all of us now, 70 black-eyed virgins are awaiting him there. He just needs to switch over and suddenly he will find himself in the pool, in the midst of 70 black-eyed virgins. So when he carried that thing, you know many times some, some of us would think that, how can a normal person, how can somebody carry a bomb like this and be thinking and going and be killing people? Does he not think? This man, this demoniac, does he not think? How can somebody carry stone and be cutting his own body? Does he not think? How can somebody carry, I'm living in the tomb. Does he not think? Was he thinking properly? It was that spirit that took whole control of his life. Are we, are we there now? So please, let us not be un, uh, uh, unnecessarily aggressive against Muslims. But we should by all means be aggressive against the spirit of Antichrist that is in them. Is that okay? Is that okay? So anyone you relate with, whether you buy watermelon from him or you, go, you want to do burial of your father or your mother and you go to artisan to buy goat or to buy cow, just know that that one, whatever he does, he is not the one doing that thing. It is the spirit that is in him that is doing all of those wicked things. Are we there now? Okay. And if, and as we are looking at this, it is not so that we can become aggressive against them. It is so that we can become aggressive against the spirits that, it, that possesses them. Is that clear enough? All right. So, um, we, can, uh, we can move on. Now, if you look at the word Islam, we try to make a definition, our own definition. What is our definition now? I shall love all Muslims. Does it make sense to anybody? Eh? When you hear of Islam, 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 
what should be ringing in your mind that Jesus can easily identify with is what? I shall love all Muslims. Does Jesus love Muslims? Eh? Does he love them? Does he love them? He's burning, their, he's burning churches. They are burning churches. They are killing Christians, right? Should that not make him to be offended? Eh? No, he's not. Even if they lie, let them burn all the churches in Nigeria. Would they have stopped? Would they have stopped Jesus? Even if they succeed in killing all of us, of course they will never succeed in killing all of us. Somehow, some of us will remain. <laughs> They will never succeed in killing all of us. It's not possible. And let they, if they lie, let them try it. And actually, that's what they are trying. But they will find out that the more they try, the less they are getting. So when they burn churches, nothing has happened to, to Christ. Too. In fact, they have even helped him to, to do his work more. Go to, the, go to the north and see how Christians are living their lives there. Even though they are killing us every day. But we are becoming more spiritual. Because persecution helps the church eh, to live normal life. Where there is absence of persecution, what we have is not normal Christianity. It's not normal church. I hope you know. Okay. Let me not scare you too much. But persecution will come. Then we will know whether we are serving Jesus truly or not. So, uh, I shall love all Muslims. Is it possible for you to do that? Is it possible? It is possible because the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has shared the love of God abroad in our hearts. And it's possible. My own thinking is this. Why should I even be, why should I even be fighting for Jesus? Or hating Muslims on behalf of Jesus? Do you know that all that they are doing is not to us, they are doing it to? Who are they doing those things to? It is to Christ himself. You remember Paul, Saul then, when he was persecuting Christians, you remember? When Jesus confronted him on the way, what did Jesus tell him? He said, why are you persecuting me? Was it him he was persecuting? When he was catching the brothers and sisters and putting them in prison, who was he doing that thing to? It was to Christ himself. Anything that touches us, I hope you know, is not, it's touching Christ himself. So Jesus told him, it is difficult for you to kick against the prick. Eh? You know what that means? It's difficult for you to carry a nail. Now just put a nail. Put a nail. This is a nail. And then carry your leg and, and, and see how, how pleasant it is. Eh? Just hit it. Just hit it. And see whether... That's what Jesus told you. That Paul, what you are doing, there is a nail. And you are using your leg. And that is a difficult thing to do. What they are doing, they are kicking against the brick. And... They may think that they are injuring the nail, but actually, they are causing more havoc to themselves. Did you know here the Sultan cried that one day that Boko Haram is, is destroying Islam in Nigeria? Eh? Why did he say that? I may not know why he says so, but the reality is that the more they tried, the more many Christ Muslims are coming out of, uh, out of Islam. The more they think they kill Christians and bomb churches, I, it's not about building now, is it? It's not about building. Praise the Lord. So, I shall love all Muslims. Please, 
continue to pray for your heart that you love all Muslims. You must love them because they are created in the image of God. We must love them because Jesus died for them. We must love them because heaven is big enough to accommodate all of us. We must love them because... A, a pastor has confronted me. Actually, not just a pastor, a bishop has confronted me. He said, why do we call them Muslim brothers and sisters? That when, uh, when we say Muslim brothers and sisters, we are assuming that we, they have become Christians. I say, no, it is our understanding of brothers and sisters that is the problem now. When we say brothers and sisters, we are quickly, the religious spirit in us, quickly interpret it to mean that we are what? We are brethren. Have we? We are brethren. We belong to the same faith. No. The word brothers and sisters, did it originate with Christianity? Eh? Did it originate with Christianity? Did it originate with Islam? Was it in existence before all of these things began? We are brothers and sisters. Essentially because we are created by God, we are all created in the image of God. And we all came from Adam and Eve. We are brothers and sisters. But when you take the word brothers and sisters to another level, at a, to a religious level, then that will when we begin to have a problem. Even Muslims will say that we are not brothers and sisters because we don't belong to their own faith. Are you understand? Just as many Christ, of us Christians are, are struggling to accept that we are brothers and sisters now. So when we say brothers, sisters, the quick understanding that we get as, as religious people is that this is a sister in the Lord. This is a sister in Christ. And the meaning of that word is far beyond that alone. Have you understood this now? So essentially, we are, okay, pick a Muslim now. Pick one, sit him down, sit and sit side by side. What, different, what is the difference between the, the two of you? What is the difference? Maybe he, you speak Igbo. Maybe he speaks Hausa. That's the difference, right? But that's making essentially different from you. You have nose, he has nose. You have face, he has face. You have leg, he has leg. Are you understand? You have heart, he has heart. You breathe, he breathes. You eat, he eats. So what's the difference? The only difference is that maybe you are in the light, he is in darkness. Are you there now? And because you are in the light, that is the more reason why you should do or relate with him as a brother to help him to come from darkness into light. Do you get it now? So let's not be fighting about semantics. The battle is not about words. It's not about what is word. No, the battle is about light and darkness. Are you there now? So when, that's why I always say, don't fight about Christianity. Don't, your, Christ didn't leave us here to be defending Christianity. <laughs> don't go and be fighting uh, Christianity. No, 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 no. It is about you are in the light. It is about helping those who are in darkness to come into the light. Once you succeed in helping someone to enter into the light, you have fulfilled what God wants you to do. And you help the person to continue growing on in the light. Is that okay? So, uh, I, that's, that shouldn't be a problem. Whether it's a brother or it's not a brother, or whether it's a friend or it's not, a, it's not an enemy. Even the word friend has different applications. Abby, it can be used in different ways. Are you getting it now? So, and even friendship. When we are saying we must be friend Muslim, it doesn't mean that you... When they, when, they, when they fall into sin, you too fall into sin because you want to befriend them. No. You can be anything to them except sharing in their sin. Are you getting it now? You can befriend to them. And we didn't have the time to do all of that, but we pray that there will be a, a time for us to do that. 
how you can befriend them, you can be everything. So you hear Brother Paul talking about to the Jews, I became like a Jew. What was he looking at? Why was he doing all of that? So that you can win as many Jews as possible. To the godless, I became like a godless, like a godless person, even though I am not a godless man. But I do that with deliberate intention that I may win as many godless people as I can. So the essence of relating with them and even trying to understand their religion is so that we can by all means win as many. The word there is win. The, the, the major word there is win. To do what? To win them from darkness to light, from error to the truth, from falsehood to the truth, from death to life. Winning them. And to win people. He that winneth soul is what? Is wise. A fool, a fool cannot win, win a soul. That's why we are, all that we are doing is to make us to be wise. So that we can, um, we can be able to win as many people as we can. Praise God. How long does it take someone to be saved? Eh? How long? You know many times we sit down and we think that this Muslim is in, Can they ever repent? Impossible. And that is one thing that is discouraging us from relating with them. He says, some will say, come back, just leave them alone. Leave them alone. They are destined to perish. They can never repent. Is it your business to save them? Now, you remember that thief that was crucified with Jesus? Eh? You remember him? What, how did he live this life all the while? Eh? He was a criminal. What do criminals do? They kill, they steal, they destroy. Isn't it? What are Muslims doing? They are killing, they are stealing, they are destroying. What is the difference between the two of them? No difference. But look at that man now. How many, how many prayers did he pray before he got saved? Eh? He said, Lord, please remember me in your kingdom. When the one of them said, ah, you are Jesus now. You used to save people. And now with three of us are in trouble here. Can't you save us? And the other one said, what? You know they fear God? You they talk to this man like this? We, we are getting the reward of what we have been doing, no? But this man, he did not do anything wrong. We, we have killed people. We have done all of that. But this man did not do so. You know they fear God? That was just the discussion that went between the three of them up there while they were all hanging there. And the other one said, Jesus, oh. Please remember me, oh. Eh? When you come in your kingdom. I wonder who told him that the Jesus had a kingdom. Eh? How did he know? All the while, somebody has been preaching to him that there is a kingdom. And the king of that kingdom now, he now found himself crucified along with that king. So, the remnants of the sermons, of the preachings he had over time, even though he was a criminal, came to produce results at that critical last point of his life. And at that point, Jesus said, even now, today, today, very soon, self, in no distance, in fact, very soon, you will be with me in, the, in, in, in paradise. That man eh, jumped from terrible Boko Haram's terrorist life and jumped and entered into heaven. He has gone ahead of heaven. He has gone to heaven ahead of us. How many Bible studies did he go? How many baptisms did he do? Who confirmed him a member of any church? How many prayer meetings did he attend? How many outreach did he go? How many preaching did he hear? How many sermons? Just a minute. 
is already in heaven awaiting all of us. Do you understand this now? What are we looking at? It does not take God anything to save any man, even the hardest person. It doesn't take him long to save Muslims. Are we together? So let's not give up working for their salvation. It does not take him. Do you know that even, even uh, uh, um, Osama bin Laden, eh? I don't know at the final point that he gave up, but imagine at that final point, <laughs> if he just shout, Jesus, have mercy on me. That's all, but That's all, Abi. That's all. So it was said that even when they killed him, they found the Bible in his, uh, in his uh, room. And he saw, they saw that he, marked, he read the Bible and marked, 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 marked. For whatever reason, they made him to mark it. <laughs> Only God knows. So you may be shocked if you land in heaven and see Osama bin Laden in heaven. You say, ah! You? Tell me, at what point did you enter here? <laughs> are you understanding now? We are going to meet many of them like that. Praise God. So, what we are trying to look at is that relating with Muslims is, it shouldn't be a difficult work for us. Even when you preach to them, preach to them, preach to them, and they say, no, we don't believe you are Jesus. Don't worry. Go ahead, do your work. It may be at the critical last point, like that criminal, crucified with Jesus, that the things you have been telling him will come back, and he will remember Jesus that there is a kingdom. There is a kingdom. And he can just whisper. He may not even say anything with his mouth, but if his heart just says, Jesus, have mercy on me, I hope you know everything will be over. He will land in heaven. So the salvation of people, difficult thing for God. If you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, what will happen to you? You will be saved. That's what God said. He has made salvation so simple. It is we who are preaching that want to make it very difficult for people to be saved. So if somebody is not crying and saying, yeah, I repent, I repent, it is not, he is not repenting enough, according to our own thinking. But salvation is very simple. What is a bit difficult is maintaining the salvation. That is, if you are to live four or five years after you are saved, maintaining the salvation, that is where the real job is. But to be saved does not take anything. Does not take God much. Are we together? So when you are relating with them and you are telling them about Jesus and saying, Nah, Jesus was not crucified. Jesus, don't worry, don't worry. Just keep on doing your own work. An hour of visitation may come when Jesus may visit what you have been sharing. In fact, that, the story of that man crucified with Jesus always encourages me to continue to work and continue to do my best. I don't know when God is going to bring the result in somebody's life. Do you know one thing now? I hope you know that when that conversation was going between the three of them up there on the cross, it was just the three of them. Are we there? It was just the three of them. What do you think about the parents of those of that criminal? What would be their natural human conclusion? Eh? He died as a criminal and has gone to hell. So each time they think about, ah, oh, criminal, yeah. He has gone. Many people will think that that man died as a criminal and has gone to hell. But Jesus took that one and took him to heaven. Are we together now? So even, even some of the people we, we, may thought, we may think died as sinners, probably at the point of their dying, 
Maybe they just whisper to God to have mercy on them. They may not have prayed a sinner's prayer, just like that man did not pray any sinner's prayer. Did he pray any sinner's prayer? No. You just say, remember me, remember me in your kingdom. And that was all. So I, I, as we look at this, the salvation of men is the work of God. And it's in this business 24-7. So as young people, where, as we are understanding God and charging ourselves to get involved with witnessing Jesus to people, let it not be a, a barrier in your mind that this person is a difficult person to be saved. Mm-mm. In your own eye, it's difficult. But in the eyes, it's a small thing. Are we there? It is a small thing. Because the moment of salvation is just a split second for someone. Are we there now? Praise God. Alright. Now, I shall love all Muslims. Okay. Um, then we look at God's verdict versus Satan's lie. You know, we want to go back to Genesis. Let us look at Genesis. Uh, if, we, if it is only at this point we are able to uh, uh, clear off, we praise God. Some other times, we may build on this. Praise God. Now, you know that all of these things, all of this problem of Islam and the rest, actually began in Genesis. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, rather chapter 2, when God created Adam and Eve, you remember? God gave them an instruction. God gave them liberty to eat from all the trees of the garden. And he told them that, but this one, this knowledge, this, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do not touch it. That the day you touch it, what will happen? You will surely die. Final, full stop. So, in fact, when God was giving that instruction to Adam, even Eve was not there yet. I hope you know. Eve was not there. When God told Adam all of that, Eve was not there. It was later when God created Eve that Adam passed the instruction to her. Are you understanding now? Okay. They lived like that in that wonderful world. And God was coming in the cool of the evening. They were fellowshipping. You know, Adam and Eve, they were interacting, fellowshipping wonderfully. I hope you know there was no Christianity. Eh? This is where we are looking at the problem of Christianity now. What was, was, was Abraham a Christian? Eh? Was Noah a Christian? Was Jacob a Christian? What were they? Eh? They were people who had relationship with, Jesus, with God. So would they be in heaven? They have gone ahead of us, of course. But there was no Christianity. They had personal relationships with God. So you hear them building altars, interacting with God everywhere they went. But no, not Christians. We are not supposed to be defending Christians and fighting for Christianity. No, no, no. That's not what we are left here to do. When Jesus said we should go make disciples of all nations, is it to go and, make, is it to go and Christianize them? No. Are we understanding that? So Adam and, and Adam was having that wonderful fellowship with God. 
God was visiting them every time. And, and imagine, do you imagine what, how intelligent Adam was? All the things we are calling animals and, go, and, and plants today, who named them? It was Adam. He was the first taxonomist. Right? So if you say this was goat, it is goat we are calling it today. If you say this was giraffe, we call it giraffe today. If you say this was uh, Ichangu, <laughs> we call it... Now, do you notice that Adam, when he was naming all of those things, God never came to correct him. Did you see that God never came to correct him? God never said, no, 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 Adam, this one should have been Kokoyam. Why did you call it Coconut? Do you notice that there was no problem like that? Why? Because at that point, Adam was representing God fully. Anything he named, anything, that was what that thing was. It meant that even if God himself were to come and name that thing, it was the same name God would have given to that thing. Do you understand that now? So Adam and Eve were enjoying and living like that, with God fully present with them at all times. But somebody was not happy somewhere. And that person came and he said something. Now, look at um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Are we there now? Okay, let me, let me read verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to walk it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Are we there now? The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which means that at that point, evil was already in existence. Eh? Evil was already in existence. Do you understand that now? Okay. Let's leave that now. Let's move on. Verse 17 says, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I am using NIV. King James uses the word, you will surely die. That was God's verdict. Alright. After they lived for a while, Satan masqueraded himself and entered into the serpent. Do you understand that now? And entered into serpent. And the serpent came to Eve on the day she was not aware or maybe unguarded moment. And said, did God ever say it? You should not eat from... Do you understand that now? Are you, are you following? And Eve was not... Was probably unaware. And she went on to say, yes, God said, pra, 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 we should not eat all of them and all of that. If you read the story carefully, Eve even added her own. More than what God said. Are you getting it now? And Satan said, but you shall not surely die. Are you, are you following now? You shall not surely die. Now, when you read that in Genesis chapter 3 verse 4, 
what is the difference between what God said and what Satan said? What is the difference? Eh? What is the difference? God said, you shall surely die the day you eat from it. And Satan came up later and said, you shall not surely die. What was the poison that Satan introduced? Not. By all means, does it look dangerous on the surface? Eh? It was, it was a... Look, all the troubles we have in the world today are encapsulated in that single knot. You shall not surely die. Do you understand that now? When Satan entered to Adam, eh, sorry, to that serpent, Eve did not even suspect the serpent to be evil. Because all the while, I hope you know that she was already familiar with the serpent. Because it was even her husband that named the serpent. So every day they were interacting with the serpent. It did not appear to be a dangerous something. Are you getting it now? So when Satan entered into the serpent and deceived at, uh, Eve, she probably thought that nobody the serpent, why they see every day? Why is he talking this way like this? Giving job and he produced something. You shall not surely die. All the problem from that point, as soon as they took a bite, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't want to believe that Eve finished eating that, that fruit. I'm not sure she finished eating it. I don't think so. As soon as she just took a bite, shut up like this. What happened? All that God said came to pass. Their eyes were opened. And she said, what? We are naked. Eh? We are naked. Imagine what happened to Satan at that point. What did he do? He just walked away. Serves you right. He moved away. Now, all of this is embedded in what? Not. Praise God. All right. You shall not surely die. Now, from that point, sin, sin was introduced into Adam and Eve. And all of us that are seated here, today we are what? We are product of that small knot that Satan introduced. Young people, let me, let me say this. Never imagine that Satan will ever appear like Satan that we used to think he is. You know, many times when we talk about Satan, we think of something with two horns, eh? painted black, isn't it? Uh-huh. That even those who are doing Nollywood and all of those wood wood things, they paint Satan to be something black with uh, with horns like this. Uh-huh. Never imagine that Satan will come to you like that. He will not come like that. He will come through very familiar situations. The people that may tempt you, they will not appear from Obolafo. Yes, because you are here. It cannot come from Obolafo. It will be people that are around you. Didn't you remember Jesus? How did Satan hijack Peter's mouth at a point? Did Peter himself know? Answer me now. Did he know? But what was Jesus dealing with? He said, Satan, get behind me. Was it Peter he was dealing with? It was Satan. How did Satan suddenly jump to Peter's mouth? And Peter did not know. 
But the Lord knew. Are we understanding now? So, as young people, many times we are deceived to think that Satan is so big, he's going to come powerfully in our life. He comes, he comes in very tiny, unsuspected ways to deceive, because that is his work. Alright, now, you know, after that point, sin began to multiply. Uh, Cain killed uh, Abel. And it went on like that. Up to Genesis chapter what now? I think in chapter 10, right? God began to regret that he ever made man on the surface of the earth. Do you remember the story? That was eventually led to, you know, the Tower of Babel, you remember? And from that point again, when uh, the flood came and finished everything except Noah and his small family, do you remember? From that point again, even Noah and his own family produced as they produce, sin continue to multiply. Do you follow up now? It continued like that. And then God began, Moses appeared on the scene. God began to introduce sacrifices. Sacrifices upon sacrifices. You know, for the sins of uh, man and so on. The Levites, their hands were full every day. Making sacrifices for sin. For their own sin. And for the sins of the people. It never really solved the problem. Until Jesus came. And Jesus brought the final sacrifice. And that took place on the cross of Calvary. Are we there now? So, David, uh, the devil did everything to hinder Jesus from going to the cross. You remember? But he did not succeed. And Jesus went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he offered his body as a sacrifice. As the propitiation for our sins. And when he finished everything, he said, it is finished. This knot that Satan introduced in the garden, Jesus dealt it on the cross by taking it out of the way. So you hear the, you hear the Bible say that having spoiled principalities and powers, eh, he triumphed over the, He made a public disgrace of them and triumphed over them by the cross. All the handwriting and ordinances that were against us, that were contrary to us, what happened to them? He took them out of the way and did what? And nailed them to his cross. Are we understanding now? He said, it is finished. I make bold to tell you young people that you are not owing the devil anything. Did you hear that? You are not owing the devil anything. Why? Why? Because Jesus has paid the price. Oh, I want you to walk in the confidence. In that confidence, I keep, I keep walking. I say, now I'm not owing anything. What do I owe him? Eh? Nothing. Even if it is sin. He say, I, you, you sin. I say, okay, no problems. <laughs> it was, we, when we were in school, we, we, we heard that um, uh, one brother went and sinned. And then Satan came to him. See, you have sinned. Yes, you have sinned. You're already a sinner. And say, yes, I know, Satan. I know you deceived me. I sinned. But I confess my sin now. And Jesus has forgiven me. So, what is your problem? It's finished. <laughs> Do you understand that now? What are we saying? We are owing the devil nothing. Many Christians are not working in this victory. They are working, they are very defeated Christian lives. We are not owing the devil anything. Because Jesus, what gave the devil authority? 
over us. Jesus has already what? Dealt with it. Do you understand this now? Now, you remember that when Adam and Eve fell, the authority they had, Satan collected it. Are you, are you there? Satan collected it. Do you remember when Satan was coming to tempt Jesus? you remember what he said? Do you remember what he told Jesus? He took him to the highest point and showed him what? The whole world and the glory in the, in the twinkle of an eye. And showed him and said what? If you bow down to me, I'll give it to you. For it has been given to me. Who gave him? Eh? He collected it from Adam and Eve. The authority that Adam and Eve were, were operating in, Satan collected it when he introduced not into what God said. And as soon as he collected it, what happened? He walked away. Do you notice that when he, he confronted Jesus, that authority has been given to him? Do you, know, do you notice that Jesus did not, did not contest it? Do you notice that Jesus did not contest it? Jesus knew. He knew. He knew that, yes, Satan collected that authority. He couldn't con contend with Satan over that. Are you understanding now? How he, and Jesus went down to hell after he died to do what? And he collected it back. Did Satan refuse to give him? No. He collected it back. And he came back. Victory. Are you getting it now? And he gave that same authority to us. You remember? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, do what? Go. So, I am telling you, my, my brothers and sisters, you are not owing the devil anything. Stop looking as if, stop living as if the devil is too strong in our life. I tell you something, you know. Once the devil does not find foothold in your life, once he does not find a sin, what gives the devil authority over people is sin. Are you understanding? Sin. As soon as sin enters into a man's life, you have seen Satan. He has landed. He has authority. So when, when many Christians are living as if they are afraid, they are doing as if it shouldn't be so. Walk in complete victory of what Jesus did for you on the cross. You have no, you have no, you have, the Satan, Satan, you have not, you are not owing anything. Tell him to his face. If he comes to harass you, point his face to, to the cross of Calvary. He knows, he knows what happened to him on the cross more than we do. Are we there? And you see, Satan's greatest defeat was the, was the cross. Do you know that? So he began to lament after Jesus was crucified. Remember? He said, if he had known, eh, he would not have done what? He would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Ah! The greatest regret that Satan will have to eternity is the cross of Jesus Christ, is the cross of Calvary. If he had known, ah, each time he sees you and he can't reach you, say, ah, if I had known, ah, I wouldn't have crucified Jesus, but I thought I was killing him so that I would finish with him. I did not know that I was, I was even digging my own grave. So each time he sees you like this and you are in Christ, ah, he bites his finger. The greatest problem of Islam, I hope you know, is the cross. Eh? The greatest problem of... It's not Jesus, though. Muslims love Jesus. They know Jesus. Their greatest problem is the cross. And Satan's greatest problem is the cross. So, 
all that Satan is doing, even in the church today, is to ensure that even Christians don't know what happened on the cross. I tell you the truth, go and check, walk through Enugu and check. You know, there are always programs, one church program to the other. Eh? Have you often seen any program organized for people to be taught what happened, what Jesus did on the cross? How often do you hear? Alright. Again, you remember that men of old, you remember the great hymns they sang? In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my righteous soul shall find rest beyond the river. And then he talks about what? Um, um, the old rugged cross on the hill far away. Are you understanding now? Then another one talks about Drominiara, Niara, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. I ask you, brethren, have you sang those songs before? Anytime you sing that song, what happens to you? Eh? What happens to you? Do you know that Satan is never happy each time we sing about the cross? Go and check, young people. The reason why Christianity is so shallow today is because somehow Satan is succeeding to remove the cross from our face as young Christians. So we, we, do you notice the many songs we sing these days? Eh? Do you notice the many songs we sing these days? Very shallow. Very shallow. That is why we are producing shallow young people. Can you tell me song that we sing today now? Everything double, double, nah, double, double, double promotion, double this, double that, double that. You will double everything. But Satan is succeeding to remove the cross from your face. Are we together now? So many, so many songs that we sing today, they are no longer songs that we, Satan can even make us to sing those things, those songs. I hope you know Satan will never hinder any man from being religious. In fact, by all means, he will encourage you to be religious. As long as you don't know what happens on the cross. Are we there now? So young people, I give you assignment. What's the assignment? Go and study what happened to you on the cross. Are you getting I've been spending time with mechanics over the past few weeks helping them to teach them what happened to us on the cross. How Jesus, you know, we're looking at Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Jesus. And the first day we started, they were looking at me like this. And the question I could see from their face, when did I, when, when was I crucified? When did I die? Is that not the question that always come to our mind? We have been investigating that. Where, why are we doing that? Because if we succeed in no going to the cross, then our problem with sin is finished. But as long as you don't know what happened to, to you on the cross, in Christ Jesus, even if you come here today and, and cry, 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 as soon as you step out of this hall, Satan is waiting for you to say, yes, 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 don't you see that girl? Don't you see that girl? He, he entices you away. The big battle Satan is fighting 
it's not, it's not to break down churches and all of that. No. He wants to ensure that Christians don't know what happened to us on the cross. And as long as you don't know, you will live a defeated Christian life. Do you understand that now? So, that is the same thing. Satan is fighting in Islam. So, when we come to, after many years, if you go back to Matthew chapter, if you go to Matthew chapter 27 verse 35, and it is written, and they crucified him. Are you there? Alright. That was the verdict. That was the defeat of the devil. After many years, after many years, the same devil that appeared in the garden to deceive Adam and Eve, that same devil he appeared again and introduced the same poison he introduced in the garden. What was that poison? Not. So you see in, in Quran chapter 4, verse 157 to 158, you see Satan appeared again. What did he say this time now? And they crucified him not. Are we there? Now bear in mind that Muhammad himself was born about 600 years after Jesus had left. Are you understanding? Then he started his movement. Are you getting it? Afterward, even, even the Quran was not written by him himself. It was after he died that the whole, what we have now as the Quran was compiled. But something came up there. And they crucified him not. Now, when Satan introduced that same poison he introduced in the Garden of Eden, and he's introducing it now, and, say, and they crucified him not, what do you think he was trying to do? Eh? He was trying, he was trying to rubbish everything that Jesus did. He, was, he rubbish everything that God did. So the millions and millions and millions of Muslims all over the world today, when we are talking about the cross of Calvary, Jesus was crucified for our sins. And I can stand before God boldly as if I had never sinned before. When you meet Muslims, they say, oh, it's a conjecture. He was not, and they crucified him not. They only made someone that looks like him. And they put the appearance of that person. It was that person that was crucified. But him, God took him to heaven. He was not crucified. Are you, are you there now? Now, if someone, and they are looking for shortcut to go to heaven without passing through the cross. I hope you know. Is, that is the problem of religion. No? Religion wants to be religious. But they want to avoid the cross. Are we there now? Okay. So, when you meet Muslims, when you meet them, when you live with them, whether in your class, whether in your neighborhood, Anywhere you meet them, there is something they believe that Jesus was not crucified. Are we there? Alright. And it is that same person, it was the same spirit at the garden that emerged again and introduced that poison. Okay. So, we can see that, I think with this now, we, we just were able to know the descent that uh, Christianity and Islam is not the same. God, the God we serve, the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we serve with all our youthful zest, is not the same God that Muslims serve. One God says, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That other God says, you shall not surely die. 
One God, the God we are serving, and he and they crucified him. And the reason was that so that he could restore us back to God. And by the reason of the crucifixion, he collected from Satan the authority he took over his stole from Adam and Eve and handed it to us. And that spirit came again and said, they crucified him not. He was he's working to collect that authority back from us. Are we there now? And when we meet Muslims, whichever form, whether indigenous, whether migrant, whichever form they come, they believe that Jesus was not crucified. Are you there now? All right. So, um, we, we move on very quickly. Who are Muslims? We have said that Muslims are people who are possessed by the spirit of Islam, um, just like the man of Gadara, possessed by the impure spirit. Uh, it was that spirit that made him violent. Now, there are different kinds of Muslims. Though they are human beings like us, we, they are, they, they, we have both rich and poor. We have uh, educated and illiterate. We have simple and sophisticated Muslims. We have professionals and unskilled Muslims. We have pious and nominal. We have peaceful and extremists. And these kind of Muslims are found basically in three contexts. Uh, rural Muslims, uh, semi-urban Muslims, uh, and um, urban Muslims, um, and they are, all, they are spread all over the world. Out of every five persons, one is a Muslim. Are we there now? Okay. Now, so all of these kind of Muslims, uh, you will meet them. Some of us, you may meet the rural ones. Some of us as professionals, lawyers, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, you will meet them at the same platform, at the same level as professionals. Some, uh, some of who are in business and so on, they are, they are different kinds of Muslims. But the, the thing is that um, all of them, all of them share the same spirit. Are we there now? Okay. And uh, we, we, we quickly jump to strategies of how they are expanding. But for time's sake, let me leave that. Now, if you move on a little... You will look at uh, young Christians' response to Islam. Now, one of the agenda that uh, uh, Islam has for young Christian girls, I like to talk about that, so that our our young girls will will know uh, what is happening. Many young Muslim men feel obli- obliged to befriend Christian girls. And, uh, if you have uh, in, on campuses, maybe there may not even be many Muslims here on our campuses, but I know there are. It is the duty of those Muslim young people, young men, they feel highly obliged to befriend Christian girls. Now when we say Christian girls, it's not, it's, not even, it's not a question of whether they are born again or not. Are you getting it now? It, me, it simply means that as, as, as long as you are not a Muslim, you are automatically a Christian. Whether you are pagan or not, Islam does not want to know. Once you are not a Christian, I mean you are not a Muslim, automatically you are a Muslim. And those of us, we know that uh, it's not everyone who says I'm a Christian that is a Christian except someone who is born again. But the matter is this. 
Whether someone is born again or not born again, if a Muslim succeeds in marrying him or uh, marrying her, it is, a, it is a minus for Christianity. It is a victory for Islam. Do you understand that now? So, uh, Islam as a religion, Christianity as a religion, they are ever always in contest, seeking to gain upper hand over each other. Are we, are we there now? Okay, so Muslim young men, they feel obliged to, to befriend Christian girls. They do this with deliberate intention to defy, to impregnate and marry many. This is a kind of jihad and a form of winning Christian girls for Islam. Are we, are we there now? You may think that this thing is far away. Let me tell you a story that emerged from Niger State. A youth couple went for youth service. Huh? She was not just a youth copper. She was also she was an official of NCCF. Are, are you there now? And we, before the one year elapsed, elapsed, a Muslim man, a Memoya. You know what to call Memoya? Merua. You know Merua. This one who sell uh, water in uh, Jericho. Eh? Okay. She was selling water for for them there, and he said in his mind that he was going to marry that Christian lady. Are you following? This is a graduate, and this is someone who has never seen the four walls of school. And he said he was going to marry her. And it, it, looked, like, it looked like folk taste, right? But eventually he succeeded in impregnating her. Are you there now? He succeeded. He impregnated the NCCF official. He's not just an NCCF member. He, she was an official. He succeeded this memo, this merua, succeeded impregnating her. Uh, 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 do you imagine that kind of a story? That you went for youth service. You are not, you are not even one of those youth couples that just disappeared into thin air. But she was an official of NCCF. And lo and behold, she was impregnated by Merua. So, as others were getting this discharge, anyone see discharge certificate, what she was getting was what? <laughs> Are you getting it now? The brethren had to fight to bundle her out of that place and send her away because it was a big disgrace. When we are talking about this, you may think that it's not important. You may not, you may, it may not be important to you today. But surely, it is going to become important someday. That's how graduates became pregnant for Merua. And when they, it was a big battle, when they were struggling to take her out, the Merua said, Sam, she is carrying his baby. <laughs> he must, she must not go with, he must not run away with her baby, with his baby. Are you there now? Okay. It, 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 it was not a, a funny battle. So please, young girls, are you there? Here, where, where? Whether in school, wherever you see them, just know that their highest grand pursuit is how they will sleep with you, impregnate you, or even marry you entirely. Is that clear? All right. Two. In schools and universities, Muslim girls are trained to befriend Christian girls, encourage them to convert to Islam, 
and or entice them for Muslim brothers to defy them. Okay. Uh, uh, when they befriend you in school, uh, we're not saying you shouldn't befriend them. Oh. You, know, you, know, you know, I love Muslims, honestly. Let me tell you this. They are very purposeful in what they do. Whether nominal, whether spiritual, whether fervent, every Muslim you see, there is, there is nothing, you know, you see, there is nothing like born again or no born again in Islam. Muslim, you are Muslim, you are Muslim, you are Muslim. And they are very committed to the cause of their, of their religion. Do you understand that now? All right. So when you, even the guests, when you see them befriending Christian guests and all of that, yes, they may appear very nice, very friendly, very wonderful, but they have an aim. The aim is to, ha- they, they, they have the aim to win you or to entice you for Muslim young men to marry you or even to defile and impregnate. Are you understanding now? So in relating with them, you too be purposeful that I must, this one, I must win her for Jesus. Are you understanding now? It is lack of purposefulness that has made many Christian people, young people to become prey in their hands. May that not be your case in the name of Jesus. Two, uh, three, eloping, abduction, and kidnapping of Christian guests is calculated part of spreading Islam. You know, even if you don't know the story of kidnapping and eloping and all of that, at least you know about Chibok guests. Uh, is there anybody that have not, don't know, don't, does not know about the Chibok guests here? Eh? I hope you know that majority of those guests were Christians. Eh? All right. And it was a deliberate thing. Are you getting it now? Abducting them, eh? and, and by so doing... Uh, by the way, they were not the only Christian guests that have been abducted. Many, Muslim, many Christian men, uh, women and girls were, were abducted by, by Muslims. Just to impregnate them, just to force them to become Muslims, just to impregnate them, and whatever... And whatever uh, uh, children they bring forth. They are what? They are Muslims. It is in the story that mu- uh, Muslim, all those jihadists, all those guests they kidnap, before they slept with them, they will pray to Allah and say, yeah, yeah Allah, we want to cast a seed here. And that this seed we are going to cast into this woman. May that seed be more wicked than we ourselves. And then they will go and sleep with the guests and they become pregnant. Are you following now? The, what, the, what, those, what, what will be delivered will be more, more, more devilish than the person who planted those things. Are we there now? Okay. Um, and four, as Islam permits Muslim men to marry Christian women, but forbids Christian men from marrying Muslim girls. Now, you notice that mo- most of our leaders in Nigeria are married to Christian women. Are you with me? Eh? From Babangida to Atiku. Eh? To Abishalam. They all marry what? Christian women. Tinubu to Fashola. They all marry what? Christian. Are you understanding? Islam permits Muslims to marry Christian women. But forbids Christian men from marrying Muslim women. Are you getting it now? Let me tell you this. One of the reasons, one of the roots by which immorality crept into the church and it is, is damaging the church today is this. 
Many, many Muslim men sleep with many Christian girls or women. And you know, and you know, you remember when we were looking at First Corinthians yesterday, there is something God said. That don't, do you not know that anyone who joins himself with a harlot becomes what? Becomes one flesh with that harlot. If you join yourself with a spirit, you become one flesh with a spirit. That is why immorality is a very dangerous thing. If you sleep with an Ogbanje, with somebody who has Ogbanje spirit, you yourself, by reason of sleeping with that person, you are, you are acquiring the Ogbanje spirit. If you sleep with somebody who is possessed, you yourself, you will become possessed. Why? Because you are going to join your flesh with that person. Now, when Muslim men began to sleep with Christian guests, and those guests, they will enter the church, they will sing in the choir, they will do this one here, they will do that one there. They have gone out there to acquire a spirit. And they brought the spirit into the church. Are you understanding now? And they have introduced that spirit. You see, that's why you see immorality. Immorality is a big problem among Christians today. Are you there? It has a root. We are not saying that is the only root by which it entered. But that is a major root. So when the Bible says, when, when we had God telling us, flee sexual immorality, God knows what he was driving at. He knows. He knows. We must, we must walk circumspectly. When Muslims marry Christian women, all the children given birth to will be Muslims. Automatically, there's no... So that's why they are marrying, you know, they are marrying uh, our all over the places, from Uyo to Calabar to Port Harcourt to Bayelsa to, to, to Delta, Asaba, all over the places. Oh, it's a painful thing to see how, they are, how our gears have become cheap commodities in their hand, and they are marrying them. Some of them say, eh uh-huh, eh uh-huh, nah. Uh, uh, nobody come now, so anybody will come now, now, now I agree now. And they are marrying them. So if you go, if you travel from around uh, Benin, from Benin to Wari, and all of, most of the women you see wearing hijab, they are not, they are not people from the north, oh, majority are not people from the north. They are Edo, they are Ishako, they are Irubu. Even the people, most of the people wearing hijab around there here, not all of them are from the north. Most of them are our brother, our sisters here. That they marry. And they have succeeded in making them Muslims. And when they produce children, those children, they have dual identity. They are first and foremost indigenous. Eh? So if you claim you are from Enugu, they also are from Enugu. If you have any rights, they also have the same rights. Are we there now? Okay. So, so, so when, we, when we are talking about the problem of Islam and others. Many of many people think that they will. They, it is the people from the north that will come and be fighting. They will not dare do that here. It may not be so. It may be our own brothers that they have discipled and put eh, weapons in their hand that will that will fight us. Are we there now? Praise God. All right. Um, Christian ladies are seduced 
jam through Syria, money, and so on, in order to capture them. Time is not there for me to give us various examples. Various examples all over the places here. Jam, you know, you know, on campuses. Don't you see them roasting Syria all over the places? Don't we like Suyas? Eh? <laughs> the minister of Suya in converting Christians to Islam is very strong. Once they carry, carry, they carry you like this in a car and stop by Suya, Suya, Suya joints. Eh? And you know Suya, go to campuses, see how Christians, how cheap they are selling themselves because of Suya. Suya ministry, Suya ministry in converting of, of people to Islam. When they eat that thing and the chairman and the suya enter the mouth, they say, Mba keba You know what that means? If I no marry you, in fact, if no be you, except I enter into wed. So, when they eat the suya, talk till tomorrow, nothing enters their head again, except they marry Abdullahi, except they marry uh, Usman. Are you there now? Okay. So, uh, money, money, and so on. And then, if we, uh, raping of Christian girls by Muslims on, is on the increase, the careless and reckless ways of dressing adopted by many Christian girls and women attract them a lot. They see that they see that as an invitation for them to draw close to them. So, if your parents have Muslim guards, Muslim guards, drivers to take you to school, you have to be careful. If you have Muslim guards here, I want to tell you. I'm not saying you should drive them away. In fact, don't drive them away. But you just need to be careful with your gears. Many churches even hire Muslims to be their megad. If you go to some churches, their security men are Muslims. In fact, it was in worry. Eh? One man of God, his PA, was a Muslim. You know PA, his personal assistant. So if you want to see the man of God, it is the Muslim that will tell you the man of God is not available today. The man of God is praying, a Muslim. So he knows the in and out of the, of the man of God. Many churches, I saw, I visited this, some of these churches by myself. I saw them. In fact, they will put the, you know, this is, a, this, is a, this, is a, this is an institutional setting now. Where they build churches, they will put fence, put gate and put fence. The Megad will sit in front of the gates. Don't you know the place of the gatekeeper in the Bible? Eh? The person who keeps the gate, who minds the gate, is the person controlling our lives. So, go to estates all over the places. Why are they becoming Megad? Because they know the secret. He who minds the gates, minds everyone. And we don't know, we think it's cheap labor. Even most of the security outfits here, Hire them as well because of cheap labor. Yes. But they know what they are doing. Are we there? I challenge pastors. I say, look, instead of hiring Muslims to be the megad of our churches, why don't we develop disciple people from the members of the church to become the people guarding our churches? We develop music eh? ministry in the church. We develop the ministry of ushers in the church. But we don't develop the ministry of what? Gatekeepers. I hope you know that in the, in the, New, in the Old Testament, the ministry of gate, gatekeepers was very significant. We don't think that is important these days. We can develop musicians of all kinds. We can develop ushers of all kinds. And they are actually, they were also there in the Old Testament to 
I hope you know. Okay, but we neglect the ministry of gatekeepers. We have to be hiring sons of Belaya to be the one keeping our gates so that any program we have here, and I, I keep telling them, say, when, you, when we do church, when we do our programs, you know it has become an in thing now. We do our programs, we produce big, big banners and put all the information about the men of God who are going to be ministering. Phone numbers, all of that, we put them, and they like uh, pictures everywhere. Do you know that those things is going to somewhere? Do you know that those informations are going somewhere? I told you, when, they will, when crisis will come, you will be surprised how they will face all of those men of God. How did they come about that? Somebody all the while has been getting the information. How did Mordecai get the information of what was happening in the palace? Eh? It was at the gate. Because he was there as a gatekeeper. He knew the information of what Haman was planning against his people. It was that secret he got that eventually moved Esther and eventually delivered his people. So what we are trying to say is that those people we keep as gatekeepers, as gatemen, the information they are getting about us, when they begin to use it, it will be a shocking thing to all of us. So I always challenge pastors, instead of hiring people, disciple members, see young, young people in the church, disciple them, train them in the ministry of gatekeepers. Let's help them to see that keeping our gate, manning our gate, is a serious ministry. Just like we develop people who sing or people who usher, we must develop people who man our gate. It's a serious ministry. And the person, the gatekeepers, their ministry is not less important than even the person preaching on the pulpit. I hope you know. We are all serving God essentially. It's just that God has given us different graces. Somebody is serving this way, another person is serving this way, but essentially we are all serving God. Praise God. All right. Um, eight. Muslim couples usually sent to schools to teach are very deliberate about this. I think I talked about it somewhere along the way when we are talking. Now, if, you, if, your, if your lecturer is a Muslim, you need to be very aware and be praying that he will not use his lecture, his, his uh, lecture position to gain upper hand over you. They have done that. Many Christian girls have fallen prey to Muslim lecturers. If you don't sleep with me, forget passing uh, your subject. Huh? And they threaten them. And they frighten them. And many have submitted. Okay. Alright. Christian, what should be our response? Pray. If you have Muslims in your school, neighborhood, adopt some of them with regular prayers and so on and so forth. Please pray. By all means, let's adopt them in prayers to pray for them. Two, witness to them by your life and words. Let them see Jesus in you. Let them see the beauty of Jesus in you. Present Jesus, represent Jesus before them before you present Jesus to them. As, you, as soon as you begin to have anything to do with them, Muslim girls, start presenting Jesus to them. Be proud of being a follower of Christ. If you shy away from being a Christian, they will forcefully engage you with Islam. Okay. What that saying is that be proud. In fact, I think yesterday we talked about be, be bold to be, a Christ, to be a follower of Christ. Maybe since we are too familiar with Christian, let's be using it like that. Be bold to be a Christian. 
I am, look, I don't have apology. <laughs> and I have no apology. I will never have one for being a, a Christian. I want to, everywhere I go, I want to assert that this is my life. And this is the life I, I, I will live. Alright. Um, uh, uh, normally, as a young girl, you shouldn't accept gifts from strangers, let alone Muslims. They charm girls with such gifts like money and so on and so on. We won't have the time to look at various examples. But please, I want to beg you, don't collect gifts from, from people. Are we hearing that now? Don't go just collect gifts from people like that. Let alone Muslims. Eh? They will go to and buy one long, uh, one fine Christian, uh, uh, one fine dress, or one fine necklace, or one fine jewelry, and come and give you an entice place. It's better to remain a poor person. Eh? and be proud of your poverty even than to go and collect something and that thing becomes what? The bait that will, will hook you down. Dress modestly in ways that honors God and your body. Alright. Make it a personal and deliberate choice to study Islam and Muslims. Please, it's not a wasted venture to study Islam. Please, what we are doing here is just, just to whet your appetite. Please, you can study more. Be very curious why are people, why are they like this? What makes them the way they are? Be very curious. Study it and have an idea about what it is. Many Christians are very ignorant about what the religion is. And so are deceived to believe that we, are, we serve the same God. Be determined to be a virgin and be proud to be one for the glory and honor of God, yourself and your parents. Because that is what they want to quickly do. As soon as a man, a Muslim man begins to... Uh, move around any Christian gear, for what, whether for business or for anything. He has one aim. The aim is to defy that person as soon as it's possible. If you think what I am telling you is a lie, when we finish, just take a quiet walk to Artisan or to, is it better now? Eh? Or to Gariki. And just sit down by, just stay by one corner, just stay in your car or in a taxi and be watching all these Muslim men. As they see these Christian gears. In fact, they are proud to tell us that the beauty of a Christian gear is, is in their nakedness. So they just fancy how naked we are as Christians. And when, when you see them, you see, you know when you, when, you, when, you, when you are hungry and they put food in front of you, what happens to your throat? Eh? You begin to salivate. You begin to salivate. That is how they salivate when they see Christian gears. As soon as they see Christians, they are beginning to salivate. And there is, there is just one, one thing coming to their mind. So please, be careful. Alright. I think we will stop here. Sorry that we can't finish this. Uh, because of time. Um, now you can go on, look at basic Christian doctrines. What do Muslims believe? What is their doctrine? Uh, uh, you will look at... Um, uh, the, uh, the way by which the strategy by which they spread you know um, uh, we look at uh, if you go to page uh, 7 it talks about um, uh, the creed recital of the creed I was doing a training for some Christians I think yeah it was in worry and I was asking them Christian Muslims have a creed what is their creed? La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah. That is their creed. There is no God but God and Muhammad is his prophet. That is their creed. When a baby is born 
as soon as the baby comes out of the mother, that is the first thing he will hear, the whisper to the left ear and to the right ear. As soon as, when somebody is dying, that will be the last confession in the person's mouth. If the person is so sick that he, can, he or she cannot confess it, anybody near the person at that point, that final point, will have to confess that thing on the behalf of the dying person. Then I ask us, I ask the Christians, what is our creed as Christians? Guess the answers I got. Eh? Somebody said the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Another person said, Holy Ghost, fire. Is that our creed? Is that our creed? We ransack, we search, we search, what is our creed? What do you believe in? Holy Ghost, fire. Holy Ghost, fire. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, by all means. Is that creed? You see, this is the lazy generation that we are in as Christians. What is our creed? Huh? I believe in God. You know the Nicene Creed, right? The Nicene Creed. When I said the Nicene Creed, someone said, but it's Catholic, it's Catholic. I said, there's nothing Catholic about that. There's nothing Catholic. Go and look at that thing again. The Nicene Creed. It summarizes the whole Bible. Summarizes our belief. So, I began to appreciate churches where they put it as a, as, as a weekly routine. The Nicene Creed. I said, I'm going to teach my children the Nicene Creed. So that, let it sink into our head. Because, you see, when John go mature, <laughs> now the thing where they inside, now in the same person, you know, all this Holy Ghost fire, Holy Ghost fire, this kind of, this kind of sentimental thing. Holy Ghost fire. Do you know that when temptation comes, even Holy Ghost fire no go save you? You can use Holy Ghost fire to threaten some, some, some minor demons. You can use the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. By all means, the blood of Jesus is very efficacious. But that is not a creed. Are we there? So, I am challenging all of us again. Go back. What is your own creed? What do you believe in as a Christian? If Muslim comes, ask you, do you know that if you ask a Muslim person, what, what do you believe? He, has, he will not blink his eyes to tell you his creed. Abi? La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, he knows that. Even the ignorant women, they know. But we as Christians, we, we don't know our creeds. Are we there now? Let us all go back and study the creed, the Nicene creed. That's our creed. It summarizes everything. So that even if somebody is putting knife on your neck, what do you believe? This is what I believe. And I am not going to change if you like, cut my throat. Praise God. So we'll stop here so that we can take some few questions. Now I want to, I want to plead with you to take time to read through this. You know, read through uh, this and buy books that will educate you a little more on, uh, on Islam. Uh, this workshop is so short if God gives us another opportunity, we would like to do it carefully well so that we can finish it well. And each one of us knows at least how to explain the gospel to, to our Muslim neighbors who are increasing all around us. Uh, but, for the, for, but the time is short for us here and we cannot do justice to it. Praise God. But as I summarize all that we've been talking about, 
um, it boils down to what happened in Genesis. Thou shalt surely die. Satan came in. The spirit of Islam came in. The spirit of every religion came up from that singular knot. You shall not surely die. That gave birth to Islam. That gave birth to Buddhism. That gave birth to rebellion. That gave birth to sin. In fact, all the troubles of the world today were encapsulated in that single knot. That word knot. Are we there? Okay. And after several years, Jesus came to deal serious blow on that knot. And he was able to remove it. And restored us back to the fellowship that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. When he, cruci when he was crucified and he said, it is finished. And the wall of partition between man and God divided apart. And every man had the express entrance into the presence of God. Several years after, that spirit came again in, in Quran and said, and they crucified him not. Returning back what Jesus served. Are we, are we together? And we also say that the problem of Satan is, is how he can conceive the impact of the cross, of what Jesus did on the cross. Even as we are seated here, Satan is still fighting that battle. Are we there now? And we have said that even in the many Christian music we have today, I beg, go and, go and study them carefully well. They are very far away from talking anything about the cross. Many of them. It's all the jaga 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 to whip up our, our word now. Our emotions. But men of old who understood this, they sang song. And the song pointed everybody's attention to the cross. Even when we sing those songs today, men still weep. But most of the songs we sing today, they are very superficial. They only... Jehovah said to me, said to me, Jehovah said to me, said to me, Jehovah said to me, said to me. Somebody who's saying one, Jehovah said to me, said to me, Jehovah said to me, five minutes, he's singing one track. Jehovah said to me, said to me. The question is, what does Jehovah owe you that he must say to you? It's all about what? Give me food to chill, eat. Give me it's all about belly. And Satan has busy, is busy putting all of this in the hands of many and, and blinding our eyes to the cross. I tell you, young people, let us return back to the cross. Daring, daring is our salvation. Daring, all the handwriting of the ordinances, all the things that Satan wrote against us, that was where they were knocked, nailed away, they were taken out of the way. That is where our liberty and our freedom is. Praise God. So can we pray together now? Father, we thank you for how you have helped us as we look at these issues. We are grateful that you have shown us your mercy and you have helped us. We are only pleading that though little, you will build on it from this point. Expand our hearts to love Muslims. Expand our hearts to seek for ways of winning them. Expand our hearts to seek for ways of bringing them from darkness into light. We pray that uh, wherever you may take us to, in the days ahead, some of us, you will shoot us to the north. Some of us, you will shoot us to the south. 
to other places. Some of us, even beyond, the, beyond Nigeria, Lord, we pray that wherever you will shoot us to as your arrow at the end of the day, that we will be men and women who will walk in wisdom with you to bring many from darkness into light in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As we take a break here and to come back much later, we ask that you will show us help and you bring us back refreshed and strong in the name of Jesus. Thank you for hearing us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.